was just talking about the doctrine of the last things, eschatology. Uh, what do we think of when we reflect on the doctrine of creation? When you think about the doctrine of the theology of creation, what do you think about when you think about that? Well, we, we, our minds might go to Genesis 1, God made this, and it was good. Six days, Adam and Eve, Eden, right? And we think that, and that wouldn't be wrong, obviously. But that's, for most of us, and including myself, um, most of the time, that's kind of where it ends, right? God made things, and it's good. And then from there, we don't really have in view how the world and the universe and the reality that we live in is a created thing, and we don't really consider how that affects our daily lives. But what we read in Romans, what, we, what Paul is writing here, is that creation itself, and this is creation apart from us, so the non-rational uh, creation, as John Murray would put it, Creation itself has a testimony. And this testimony reflects the testimony of God's highest creation, which is us, mankind. <coughs> and, this and this testimony has been speaking out since the very creation of the world. And it speaks today and it speaks towards what is to come. This great hope that we have, again, in Jesus' coming, and as verse 19 said, in the revealing of the sons of God. And so I want to talk a little bit about what verse 21 says about the testimony of creation, what creation is telling us and telling itself. And our, uh, our journey through verse 21 is going to take place in three points. Creation testifies to hope, hey hope, uh, creation testifies to bondage or slavery, and creation testifies to freedom. A testimony of hope, a testimony of bondage, and a testimony of freedom. Because, uh, and all of this, uh, and what we'll get to eventually, and what we should all be getting to, what we should all be approaching, is ultimately the glory of God. Why does creation testify at all? And why are we sitting here listening to me explain Paul about how he's talking about the testimony of creation? It's for the glory of God. And I pray that at the end of this and at the end of your days, um, everything would be about the glory of God. As creation declares in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And so the psalmist is uh, confessing how even creation itself has a grand testimony about the power and the will and the presence of God. And so let's talk about that testimony first in the hope of creation. The hope of creation. Uh, yeah, and, and indeed, creation can hope uh, because there is a sort of personification of creation in the Bible. Not that creation, not that the non-rational creation, not that trees and mountains and skies have thoughts and feelings. And yet, 
the Bible describes creation as having, uh, well, Psalm 98. It says this, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. All right, they make movies about, they make scary movies about the hills having eyes. Uh, and so this is not, an, you know, we're not saying that the rivers are you know, doing this, right? Uh, but we're, what we're saying is creation itself is reflecting the fact that they are created. And if you are created, then you have a creator. And so all of creation is testifying, testifying to their creator, creator God. And it's not so much that they have uh, a testimony or even a hope of their own, but creation, not being a person, is a reflection of the reality of humanity. Creation's testimony of hope, of bondage and freedom, is a reflection of the reality that we, we experience and that we know. And so creation hopes. Creation hopes. What is hope? Well, hope's over there. But also, hope is the expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Hope is the expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. In other words, hope exists because something does not. Hope exists because something does not. You don't hope in something that you already have. You don't hope in something that you already see. You hope in something because it is not yet here. And in fact, the opposite of hope, hopelessness, is the thing that's based in, on evidence. Have you ever considered that? Hope, we hope in things yet unseen which means hopelessness is in the things that are seen. When you think about what we see, you think about the world around us, and the wars, and the famines, and the destruction, and the immorality, and the rejection of God, and so on and so forth. We look at all of that, and it's so easy to become hopeless. Why? Because it's right in front of us. We see it. This, I mean, nobody has the news anymore. Nobody has cable, but you click on the news, um, and it's so easy to fall into hopelessness because it's right there. But hope, it's in the things you can't see because hope is based upon faith. Hope is based upon faith. Romans 8.24, which we'll read in a couple of weeks, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. See, you, we, you and I, we hope. I, I'm hoping that you hope. <laughs> we hope along with creation. And just as creation hopes for something, we hope along with it because there is so much that has been left unfulfilled in us. We hope along with creation because something that is supposed to be there is not there. Something that is supposed to be here is not here. And so when, we, when Paul talks about creation's, uh, creation's hope, that in hope, creation did so and so when he's talking about that he's talking about cr how creation's hope 
is contingent on the hope of God's people. Creation's hope. What creation is looking forward to, what creation is looking towards to, is contingent on what we look forward to and on what we look toward to. That is, it looks towards the glory of the children of God. That's the ending of the sentence, right? In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That's its ultimate hope. Its ultimate hope is in us. Our creation's ultimate hope is in some, something that will take place in the people and children of God. It looks towards the glory of the children of God. And this glory is not really representative of us as his children, but it's representative of God himself. Right? So it looks towards the glory of God. And we, along with creation, hope for the revealing of God's glory in us. Why? Because it's not there. Because we recognize our need for glory. We recognize our need specifically for God's glory because we live in such an inglorious world. And we live among a very inglorious people, and we ourselves are very inglorious. Who hopes for what he sees? I don't see any glory in me. And this, that is why I hope in the glory of God to be revealed in me. And we hope for the glory to come because we recognize the inglory of the world, the inglory of ourselves, and because we are so familiar with the hopelessness of this present age. And this, this is the hopelessness of bondage, which is creation's second testimony the bondage of creation. The hope of creation exists because of the bondage of creation. And it is a bondage, as Paul says, to corruption. And the word corruption here, uh, the ESV has chosen to define, to translate it as corruption. But uh, corruption to me has more of like a one and done like uh, sense. Like, you know, you corrupt a politician, you're like, money under the table, and now he's corrupted, right? That's what it is to me. Uh, but the word itself actually has more of like a decaying meaning. Like it's continuous. It's still happening. And so it is a bondage. Not only, yes, there is a once-happening uh, once, uh, sense of corruption, but there's also a sense that it just keeps going and going and going. It's decaying. It's deteriorating. And so, the creation sees itself. And it sees itself as under bondage, in slavery to this decaying corruption. Because uh, what has been corrupted and what is decaying is God's created order. Remember the very basic thing that even Sunday schoolers can tell you about the doctrine of creation. God made it, and he said, it is good. And that goodness has been corrupted. That goodness is now decaying. And it is decaying before our very eyes. And we see the corruption of creation itself. We see the decay of creation itself. We see all, we, we've seen the images of the terrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria. We see all manner of disaster, of calamity, plague, famine, drought. We've seen pandemic. 
And in these things, we see the corrupting decay of creation. But not only that, not only is the creation decaying in and of itself and in upon itself, but this decay is being imposed upon it by man, by us. The, the corruptions of man, right? Because the testimony of creation reflects the testimony of mankind. And what is the testimony of mankind? That we have grieved the heart of God and we have grieved the creation of God and we have brought upon climate change, you know, uh, war. Think about all of the idolatrous altars that have been built upon the earth that we stand on. Corruptions of man imposed upon creation. The creation itself and mankind working together to present to us this decaying, corrupted creation. Indeed, mankind is joined together with creation in bondage to corruption because of sin. Sin has entered mankind. And sin corrupts and sin decays. At, the, at best, no matter how, tr- how hard we try to fight it in and of ourselves, sin will distort. And at worst, sin will destroy. And how do I, why do I say that? Well, no matter what you do, outside of the gospel of Christ, sin will distort or destroy our obedience to the will of God. It'll distort or destroy our preserving of the image of God. And it will distort and destroy our stewarding the true worship of God. Right? Because at the very beginning, what was being distorted and what was what was the enemy trying to destroy? It was the will and trustworthiness of God. The serpent comes into Eve and he says, the question that still rings true in our society and in, in us today, did God really say? Did God really say you should not eat of the tree of the garden? And we see, even just with that, we know how sinister sin can be in our, own, in our own lives, how it can twist the words of scripture so that we use it for our own advantage, how it can destroy our joy in the will and word of God so that we do not do as he has commanded us. Not only that, but it distorts and destroys our preserving the image of God. What is the image of God? That's you and me. That's us, men and women created in the image of God. And yet, how often do we point the finger at each other? This one and the middle one. How often do we speak ill of one another? How, how often do we talk behind each other's back? How often do we, do we find ourselves angry with one another? Even though Jesus says, even if you're angry with someone, you're, you're murdering them. And yet how quickly we are, how quick we are to do just that, to murder each other in our hearts. And not only that, but we don't even preserve ourselves, right? Um, Anyway, uh, and finally, we, sin distorts and destroys our stewarding the true worship of God. And how hard is it to come to church on Sundays, right? Just a very, it's once a week. <laughs> it's very simple. And yet, even our worship on the Lord's Day has been corrupted, has been distorted, sometimes even destroyed by the presence of sin in our lives and in this world, right? Um, and not only that, but our worship and our living and our breathing. Right? How, 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 you know, how many of us are still 
uh, still on our one-year Bible plan that we started in the new year. If you are, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to encourage you in that. But if you're anything like me, <laughs> probably, probably rough going, maybe not going at all. But that's like, that's basic, right? That's, that's basic to the worship of God, and yet we have such a hard time. We, it's almost futile to use the language of verse 19. It's futile to try to live according, even just to the basics of a right to Christianity. So I've talked a lot about the futility, the corruption, the decay of this creation and we who live in the creation. And that sucks. <laughs> and again, that's why there is so much hopelessness in the world. And that's why there is so much confusion in the world about who God is and what the church is because we are so readily confronted by our shortcomings and our falling short of the glory of God. But remember, we have hope. <laughs> creation hopes despite this corruption, despite creation and our slavery to this decay, there is hope. And even though we are face to face with the reality that we live in, hope is not in what we see now. Hope is in what we do not see, what is still yet to come, and indeed has already come what hope does is recognize the bondage, recognizes the, the decay as something that will pass. It is not forever. It is not eternal. And realizes, what hope realizes is that the freedom of the glory of the sons of God, of the children of God, that will last. And so in our final testimony of creation. It is the freedom of creation. And what is, what, how will creation be free? How will we know, and how does creation know what its freedom looks like? Its freedom is in the glory of the children of God. It is the glory that is once for all, the, the, obtaining the freedom of glory, but it's also a freeing glory. It's still happening. It is continuous. It's progressive and sanctifying. And it's not just any glory, but it's the glory of God's children. It's the glory of those who have been adopted into the, by the Holy Spirit into the family and inheritance of God in Christ. Because, again, the creation echoes the testimony of mankind. Why? Because in the divinely appointed hierarchy, man rules and subdues and stewards the creation. So therefore, creation first exists for the glory of God, but secondly, for man's glory. And so, creation will be most free when it gives glory to whom it is due, first the creator, then the creature. The creature meaning us. Um, and what a grace of God it is that we are counted among God's glories, that we are the glory of God, that God chooses to implant his glory in us, and that creation, all of creation, you ever been to like a really like high mountaintop, and you, like a big hike, you see just the landscape in front of you, and you're just like, wow, you realize all that's for you, it's for God's glory, but it's also for your glory too, it's for you to glory in, and what a grace of God that is. 
one time I was watching a show. I forgot what it was called, but it was like about, about it's like a one of those MTV reality shows about rich kids. And uh, Magic Johnson's son was in there. That's all I remember. But like uh, one of the episodes, they were worrying like the yacht they were gonna buy their friend wasn't big enough or something like that. And I was just like, man. A at the time, I was like, man, I want a yacht. <laughs> you know, it's like I was. <coughs> and it's just like, and, and part of me was kind of like angry. It's like Magic Johnson, he was a great basketball player at the very least, right? Uh, we can go into an argument of whether athletes should be paid that much. But, you know, he, he had a lot of accomplishments. But what did his son do? His son didn't do anything. His son has a yacht <laughs> on the very, just because he's, he just happened to be born uh, with the last name Johnson. And at the time, I was feeling some kind of way about that. But I'm reflecting on that, right? Isn't that what being a son is? Isn't that what being brought into someone's family is? That I didn't do anything <laughs> to, uh, I haven't done anything on my own. But the inheritance of my father is mine. That yacht's mine, <laughs> right? Uh, and we think about, and that's such like an earthly, temporal thing. Yachts, whatever. They rust anyway. <laughs> but we, as God's children, have the inheritance and the glories of the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that? What a grace that is, that God would choose to adopt people like us. I didn't do anything. I suck. And you suck too. And yet we are joined in God's, uh, God's glory that creation attests to. But man, indeed, is only glorious insofar as he glorifies God. We are only glorious as much as we glorify God. Why do I say that? Well, it's because we have been created for one purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. A watch is not a hammer. You do, not you do not find the glory of a watch when you smash it on a table, right? Where do you find a watch's greatest glory? When it's on your wrist and you have your sleeve up just a little bit, right? That's the glory of a Rolex, okay? What is the glory of mankind? <laughs> the purpose and chief end of God. Uh, the purpose and chief end of man, as the catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you know the glory of that? Do you know the glory of glorifying God in your life and, to, and enjoying him forever? A thing that is made and used for its purpose is at its most glorious. Man is made to glorify God. You have been made to glorify God. And if you are doing that, then you are most glorious. But how can we do that? I just said in the previous section that we have such a hard time even reading our Bibles, a hard time waking up for church even though our service is 1 p.m. We have, we have such a hard time living out our faith. And sometimes we can walk out of church services, and that's, that could be my fault. We walk out of church services not thinking about God's glory, but thinking about how much we fall short of God's glory. And we think, oh, man, all right. Yeah, I don't read the Bible, so maybe this week I'm going to read some more, or maybe I'm going I'm I'm to devote some time to prayer, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and our Christian life becomes just another checklist. 
and the notebook of checklists that we have in our lives. But you see, the glory of God is made most evident, and the glory of God is at its apex, not because we can do some things, but it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in the salvation of wretched sinners. It is in the adoption of cast-out orphans. It's in the befriending of bitter enemies that God is made most glorious in us. It is through the torture and crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, upon that cross. It was upon that cross that the Son of God took upon himself our wretched sin so that we would be justified and blameless before the Father. All glory to God. It was upon that cross that the Son of God was cast out in such a way that he himself cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could hear the echo of the Father say to us and say of us, This is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. All glory to God. It was upon the cross that the Son of God bore the full brunt of the Father's wrath so that we would know the fullness of his loving kindness towards us. All glory to God. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as Stephen and Jesus come up, let us hope, along with the rest of creation, for the revealing of the glory of the children of God that finds its fulfillment and finds its pinnacle and apex in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's glory, is reveal, God's glory revealed is worthy to be hoped in because it manifests in the gospel that frees us from the bondage to decay and corruption and sin. And it is the gospel that enters us into the freedom of glory. We do not obey the will of God as we ought, but Christ obeyed it perfectly, even unto death, so that now we are free to obey out of love and thankfulness. We do not preserve the image of God as we ought, but being cloaked in the righteousness of Christ, we have been declared God's beloved children in whom he is well pleased, so that we can display God's love to ourselves and to each other. We don't worship God as we ought, but thanks be to God that Christ has offered himself as our greatest worship and sacrifice so that because of this sacrifice that was offered, we can approach the throne of grace, the throne of God, with full confidence. Even as we live in an inglorious world among inglorious people, may we, as the people of God, sing along with the rest of creation. The glory of God is here. The glory of God is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that creation itself witnesses and testifies not only to the brokenness and bondage that it has to, uh, to sin, uh, I mean, the uh, bondage to corruption and decay, but it testifies too to a great glory, a glory that is to come, but also glory that we have now because we know and we have heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that has, that has raised us, us up from the dead with him that we have now been made and declared righteous in the sight of God. That yes, though the remnant of sin remains, and though when we still try to do things of our own accord and our own power and our own will, we will fail. But Lord, we do not have just ourselves, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us, reversing the effects of sin in our lives and turning us away from our sin and towards you. Father God, would we glory in that? Would we glory in the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
and the gospel that has saved us from the depths of our depravity and brings us towards a full view, a full assurance, and a full experience of the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for these people in whom we can join together and declare these things along with the rest of creation. In Jesus' name I pray.